Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Our scripture reading today is found in Matthew 3, verse 11. And it reads, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, today we are here for a special occasion. Uh, we have a baptism. And because we have a baptism, I'm going to talk a little bit of, about what baptism is. But before we start, uh, before we do the baptism, we have to do something uh, special beforehand. I want to invite uh, Christina to come here for just two minutes. And... Uh, I'm going to make her a few questions that summarize what we believe as Christians. That will be her public statement of uh, uh, acceptance of God on her life. And once she does that, then I, I'm allowed to baptize her at the end of the sermon today. So, the first question, Christine, is do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? And do you desire to live your life in a saving relationship with Him? Yes, amen. Do you accept the teachings of the Bible as expressed uh, on the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? And do you pledge by God's grace to live your life in harmony with the Bible's teachings? Amen. Do you accept to use the Bible and only the Bible as your only rule of faith and living? And the last question, do you desire to be baptized today as a public expression of your beliefs in Jesus Christ and also to be accepted on the fellowship of uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church? And uh, do you pledge to support its mission with your influence, tithes, offerings, and your life of service? Amen. So, with this, we can already baptize you in, in the name of Jesus, and as we're going to do in a little bit. But uh, now, uh, I have, before the baptism, I have some things to say to you and to the whole congregation. So, I ask you to go back to your seat until we finish, so we can do that uh, main thing that brought us here, that's your baptism. Since we're going to be looking and reflecting what baptism really is, before we start, I want uh, to pray, to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us today as we look to Scripture and see the true meaning of baptism, the true meaning of what Christina is about to do. So, let's bow our heads. Dear Father in Heaven, we are humbled by your love for us. And uh, as we look to ourselves, we feel inadequate. That's why we ask your Holy Spirit to come and uh, clean us. We open our lives to your Holy Spirit to enter, to guide us as we study the Bible, because we cannot understand your truth by ourselves. We need the same Spirit that inspired the prophets, to illuminate our minds as we open Scripture. May your word be heard today, and may your voice speak directly to our hearts, 
That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Uh, I don't know if you guys paid uh, attention, but on the biblical reading today, uh, it mentions or alludes three types of baptisms. Did you notice that? Uh, let me read again. I'm going to read from the New King James, Matthew 3, 11. I indeed baptize you, and that's John the Baptist talking, in, with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, the context where this verse comes, it comes from uh, a chapter in the book of Matthew, where Matthew is preparing the stage for the baptism of Jesus by introducing John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, depending on your translation, as being the person who will baptize Jesus. And it's interesting that uh, the John, he got his nickname, the Baptist or the Baptizer, uh, because something that he did. Uh, if you look on the beginning of the chapter, it's uh, the Bible says he uh, was baptizing people on the Jordan. And uh, he was doing that for calling people to reconnect with God, for calling people to repentance, to turn back from their ways, to do things in God's way. And uh, he used the baptism as an external symbol of that commitment. Just as I asked Christina to, to confirm if she wanted to surrender her life to Jesus and would accept her baptism as the external token of that internal change that already took place on her, on her life. And uh, because John did that, that's why he got that name, the baptizer. And uh, his intent in saying that was to make a clear difference between the symbol he was performing every day in front of Many people that want to surrender their lives to God. The difference from that to the real work of the work of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. That's why he says like, my baptism, the baptism that I can baptize you is with water. And that's the same with me, by the way. I only can baptize with water, Christina, uh, following that biblical model. But uh, he was saying, the one that's coming, the one that I'm preparing the way. He is more powerful than I am. So he can baptize you with his Holy Spirit and with fire. So we're going to look in uh, what is that baptism of water, what really means. What that baptism of the Holy Spirit really means. And what that baptism of fire really means. But before we go there, I just want to share something with you uh, about baptism. It's not really on the scope of the message today, but uh, I think it's important. Just as we look to the landscape of the world today, just as we look to the landscape of Christianity, like, uh, I don't know if you know, but today we are around 2.6 billion of Christians around the world. Roughly one-third of the world's population. From that, uh, 
1.35 billion are Catholics, Roman Catholics. And, uh, and as you know, they baptize not by immersion, but they baptize by sprinkling water on the heads of the, the people. And usually they baptize children as well. So uh, the next group after that in terms of size are the group that we call mainline Protestants. Like the, the ones that are, come from the reform, like the Lutherans, the Reformer Church, the Brethren, like all those, uh, the, Method and the Methodists and those that come directly from that Reformed tra uh, tradition. If you put all those churches together, we get barely 900 million. So, uh, and if you look to the, those churches, most of them don't baptize by immersion too. They also baptize either by sprinkling or by pouring water over the person. There is a minority that uh, descend from what we call the Anabaptist tradition. That is a splint off from the Church of England and a splint off from... Uh, from some of the reformed groups like the Mennonites, the Amish, they are from that Anabaptist tradition. But uh, from them, denominations like the Baptists, uh, from them denominations like uh, uh, most of the Pentecostals, the Amish, the Mennonites came from. And uh, from them, we also got a seven-day Adventist or baptismal practices. And if you put all those folks together, we have about, give or take, 300 million. So, the vast majority of uh, Christians today does not baptize by immersion. But uh, when you look to those numbers, you wonder why. Like from where they got those uh, practices. I don't want to spend time, a lot of time and unfold why they get there. I just do want to highlight why we do baptize in the way we baptize. Like, the first reason is because it's biblical. We, we do baptize only adults or people that can consent, that can decide. And when they consent and they decide, we baptize by full immersion, not by sprinkling water or by pouring water. Why? Because even the biblical word using for the act, uh, the word for baptism on the text that we just read, is the Greek word baptizo. That means literally uh, dunk somebody, submerge somebody into water. So doesn't mean sprinkle, means submerge. And uh, uh, on, on the verse that uh, we read today, we see that Jesus was also baptized in the waters. So let's look on this verse to see how he was baptized. Because if we are, Jesus, if we are Christians, we should be followers of Jesus. We should live in the way he, he lived. And we should be baptized with the same baptism he was baptized. Right? Let's recap. John was on the Jordan River and he saw Jesus coming and he said like, oh, here, 
Listen, people, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And I can baptize with water, but he can baptize in all the ways that I can. So, if we look uh, to Matthew uh, 3.16, that's uh, within the same story, we read, and I read from the New King James, when he, Jesus, had been baptized, or as the word means, when he was being submerged, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Did you see what happened here? He came out of the water, meaning that he was already, since he was being baptized, he was already submerged, he was inside of the water, and he came out. He did just like Christina you do in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, in order to make the point even more clear, let's go to a different story. Uh, and the story is in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 39 to 38. That's a very famous story. It's the story of uh, Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. The Eth he was a, a Jewish Ethiopian, Ethiopian, sorry, uh, that was coming from the festivities in Jerusalem. And he was reading the book of Isaiah where the book talks about Jesus. And he was not getting what was there. And uh, he was baffled. He wanted to understand what that thing was all about. And uh, the Holy Spirit sent Philip to him. And after a lengthy conversation, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And as soon as he located water, he, he says to his driver, Stop the chariot. And he asked Philip to be baptized. So, let's read how that baptism took place. Let's read the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. So, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. They dig into the water. And he baptized him, or he submerged him. And when they came up out of the water, so they got out of the pond or whatever body of water they were in, the Spirit of the Lord called Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way rejoicing. So, do you see what happened here? He was submerged. So, uh, and I could go on and on and on in different biblical passages that demonstrate that the, baptism, the biblical baptism has to be from somebody uh, that's fully immersed on water. That's why, uh, biblically speaking, the biblical baptism is by full immersion. And uh, other forms of baptism, although they may be meaningful to you as you experience that, they are not the biblical baptism, the one that uh, Jesus was talking about when he said the words of, of uh, Mark 16.16. 16. Mark 16.16 16. On the New King James, we read, He who believes and is baptized, he will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. In the words of Jesus, 
And he's not the only one that speaks that. There are several other texts on the Bible that says that you have to believe and be baptized to be saved. Uh, that's the general rule. And uh, by those texts, baptism seems to be a pretty big deal. It seems that baptism is something is important. That public declaration you do, it's important in order of your process of uh, you being saved. And even before I go any further, I have to... Uh, at one time, I preach, I hear a sermon about prayer and, uh, and about praise. And I told that like, uh, uh, I share one thing about me and my wife. I like to tell that uh, my wife that I love her, that she's beautiful, that she's marvelous, that she's all that. And she is. And every time I say uh, that, that changes something in me. I learn to lo love her more. And that's why the public baptism is important. Because you publicly declare, I love Jesus and I want to do what he did. But here on this verse, there was something that was troublesome. Because uh, not by what the Bible says. But because people don't pay attention to what the Bible doesn't say. The verse, Matthew 16, Mark 16, 16 says... He who believes is, and is baptized will be saved. But he does not believe, who does not believe will be condemned. The Bible does not say those that are not baptized will, will not be saved. The Bible says that those that don't believe will be condemned. Not those that are not baptized. Do you see the difference? Baptism is important. But... Uh, uh, we, we need to get baptized. But if by any chance we cannot get baptized, the crucial factor for our salvation is our belief and our surrender in Jesus Christ. I once shared with you a story about my dad. I'm going to summarize since most of you already know. Uh, my dad was not Christian, was not raised in a, in a church. And uh, uh, when I con converted, my dad kicked me out. He tried to kill me. He was a crude person. Like he was like a, a tough guy in the sense that he was very stern, very a disciplinarian. So, and uh, when he made up his mind that uh, Christians, especially those evangelicals, they were all stupid people, and that was his mind. He said, "Like you either." Give up your faith or you're not my son. Fast forward years later, he got cancer. And by that time, I was already married. He was already falling in love with my kids. Like, uh, uh, But uh, he still kept his distance. He had the same prejudices and everything. And uh, uh, after his, the more, more like intensive part of his treatment, he was to stay like, for six months to a year do, doing chemotherapy, once a week. So we said to him, Dad, instead of you being on the hospital all the time, uh, spending a ton of money, and instead of you, Mom, staying in a hotel, why you don't come home? We live not too far away. It was just like under nine minutes drive from the, the hospital. So, like, we can bring you that for that once a week or once every two weeks treatment. 
I think it was once every two weeks. And uh, my wife did most of the driving. I'm telling you, she's all that. And, uh, and uh, during that process, like he was living with us, and all that prejudice started to break down because he saw what Christianity was really about. By the time he was uh, sent home because he didn't need the tra- treatments any longer, he was like in the remission. He was like just needed to heal to do another surgery to, re- to solve a pulmonary problem he had because many years of smoke. Uh, so he went back to my city. But uh, about four or f- five months later, I felt impressed to go in a school break, in a holiday in Brazil, to go and spend a couple of days with him to try to see if he could uh, accept Jesus in his life. I spent three days there. I got back home, I think, Thursday. And uh, by the end of my days there, he accepted to be baptized. He accepted to become a Christian, to become a seven-day Adventist. And like that Sabbath, I, I, I was already back home, but my mom was so happy because for the first, was the first Sabbath of her life that she had like a peace. My mom became Christian after me, but she felt the same flack I felt, but just in a smaller dose. Uh, was not easy for her. Uh, my dad called her every name on the book, plus a few others that he invented. And, uh, and uh, like on that first Sabbath was peaceful. My dad even didn't uh, turn on the TV. He didn't read any one of his secular books or magazines. He read his Bible. He, read, uh, uh, he was reading Patriarchs and Prophets at that time. And uh, he went and watched a sur- the church service for the first time on his life, like a Sabbath service. So it was beautiful. And I was already dreaming with the day of that big festivity of his baptism. That he would uh, uh, come and accept Jesus publicly in, uh, in his life. And, uh, but then Saturday night, my mom called. He died by a, a pulmonary emboli. Like uh, something blocked his, uh, the, the, the veins on his, on his uh, lungs. And he died while he was sleeping. So, uh, on that, so I had to fly back Sunday to do the funeral on the following day, Monday. And I was kind of uh, disappointed, as I shared with you b- before, because I l- wanted to have that experience with my dad that I never had, of sharing the same fate. But one thing brought me hope, that I knew I would see my dad again. But uh, uh, you may think, what about that verse we just read? Again, the verse teaches you that uh, if you believe and you baptize, you'll be saved. But if you don't believe, you won't be saved. My dad had what take. He believed. He accepted Jesus on his life. He just didn't have enough time to come through publicly with his uh, confession by baptism. And uh, if we look what the Bible really saying here, then you can understand the assurance I had that I, I will see my dad again on the resurrection day. Like, uh, biblically speaking, baptism is an important requirement. We have to do it. 
It's a uh, part of the plan of the sal- of salvation because symbolizes uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the renewal of the life that He wants to do in us is an outward sign of repentance and is a a, manif- a public manifestation of something of the change that He is already doing on our hearts. That's why Paul says in Romans six three to four the following. He says, and I quote from the New King James, or do you know, or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So, the symbolism here is clear. As we are buried on the, on the waters by the baptism, we are sharing and we are accepting Jesus' sacrifice. And in the same way he ri- raised from the death, we also raise from the water as new persons. Uh, not because anything that the, the right has in itself but because of what God already did for you. Paul further clarifies the issue in Colossians 2, verses 12 and 13, where he says that we are, and I quote from the New King James, we are buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So you see that the crucial thing is has to have faith in Jesus. And you, verse 13, being, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiveness of all your trespasses. So that's what baptism really means. And that's why baptism is so important. Because in the light of the biblical passage that we just saw and many others, baptism is an external symbolic demonstration of our decision to follow Jesus. And not only that, it's a symbol of the work of regeneration He is doing on us. And why we need to be fully submerged? Because Jesus, He wasn't buried with His head sticking out of the tomb. He was fully buried, in the same way we have to be fully submerged in water. And why we only consent, we only allow consenting people, people that know that are beyond the, the age of reason. We don't baptize small children and babies because since baptism is a public demonstration of my decision, that implies that I have to decide, that I have to be conscious and fully responsible for what I'm deciding. And children are not so. They cannot be held responsible for anything. So, baptism is important because we de- demonstrate a public commitment with Jesus. That's what the Bible talks about the baptism of immersion. That's the importance of it, and I think that's clear, right? But what about the other two baptisms that the, the pastor alludes to? What about the baptism of the Spirit and the baptism of fire? When John pronounces these words, he was making a differentiation between 
the type of baptism that a human being like him can do and what God can do on your life. He knew that beyond that public declaration, God need work to do on you and in me. That's why when he was meeting with Nicodemus, he said in John 3 verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter on the kingdom of God. Jesus highlighted that without the baptism, both the baptism of water, the, that public demonstration, if, we, if you can make it, but especially without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. So, this baptism of the Spirit, uh, according to Titus 3 verse 5, is what brings us salvation. That's why Paul says on Titus, and I quote, uh, that we are not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the baptism is also a meaning of that washing, of that regeneration that the Holy Spirit does on us. Jesus, he mentions here to Nicodemus two things. The baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and we have to experience both. Ideally, they should go together. But regardless of the order, we have to experience one and the other. Look into scripture. We see that some people like Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit when they were baptized on water. But we also see that others, like the believers in Caesarea, the Apostle Paul himself, and we can see this in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 9, or like the brothers in Samaria in Acts 8, they all received the Holy Spirit after days or weeks, and in the case of some of the disciples, even years after the baptism on the water. But they received it because they sought for it and they finally allowed the Holy Spirit to enter on their lives. But some people, as we see, probably the most uh, interesting case is the Gentiles that Peter baptized in Acts 10. As you see on the Bible, they received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit even before Peter had the chance to submerge them in water. Peter was just like getting to know them and they received the Holy Spirit. So the order is not important. The important thing is that that we have to have both. We have to manifest publicly what we believe. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to wash us clean. And that's a daily matter. If the baptism of the, of the water is ideally a once in a lifetime event. Once you are submerged on the water, you, you're done. When I say ideally, it's because sometimes we get baptized and we... We skid out of faith and sometimes we need a refreshing. So we need a new a baptism to receive a new commitment. And other times, as we see, as the, the believers in, from Caesarea that I just uh, uh, mentioned before, the believers that Paul met, that they were baptized by John, but they didn't know the whole thing. Once they know Jesus, they felt the need to be rebaptized again because they come 
to new truth. Uh, and so they have to be baptized again. That's why I say like ideal is once in a lifetime, but can be more. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a daily matter. You have to be baptized and rebaptized again and again and again by the Holy Spirit. What that means? That means that like a independently how long ago you dedicated yourself to God. You need to seek God every day and asking him to renew you, to regenerate you again. Because uh, although we may have uh, best intentions in mind, we always mess up. And we always need the, the Holy Spirit to reset the clock for us and uh, reconsecrate us again. And he changes us day after day after day after day. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. It's like his inner work on us to allow us to we even concede to do the will of God. But what about the baptism of fire that's mentioned there? We see plenty of references in scripture about this. As the water, fire is one of the natural elements that can purify something. You, we usually purify things by washing it or like by putting it into fire. Like if you go to a dentist office, they have something that's called an autoclave. That like in between patients, they put out their tools there uh, to kind of be purified by fire, by heat. Like, so it kills all the germs and all the things. So the fire is a purifying element. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a daily matter. It's something that we, we have to resubmerge again and again and again into the Holy Spirit and become one with God every day in order for Him to be able to use us. But the baptism of fire is something more. It's something more that's densely illustrated in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That point alone, that baptism alone, is worth a full sermon in itself. But I'm going to try to summarize with you in a few minutes. That last baptism, the baptism of fire, it, it's important and that's why I mention here. Because it sheds light of something that we don't usually think about it. We think about it of the regeneration that the Holy Spirit does with us. We sometimes think about it in our need to surrender to, the, to God every day. We think about a public manifestation of a... Uh, of a on the baptism, but we don't think about of that last baptism because the references on the Bible are not that ab abundant. They are many, but not that much in comparison to the others. But before I go there, when uh, I talk about baptism of fire, what comes to mind to you? Like in popular culture, baptism of fire has this connotation of like some sort of an initiation ritual or something. We usually say like for a soldier that goes to, for the first time to the battlefield, especially when he, when he faced like some fierce opposition, oh, he was baptized by fire. We usually say when somebody like a, let's say a pastor comes to a new church and he becomes and he faces nothing but trouble. And then after a little while, the things turn around and the church thrives. We say, oh, that pastor was baptized by fire because he went to our ordeal. But in popular culture, it seems to be, 
at least in my view, seems to be some sort of initiation thing that is going on. But in biblical terms, it's quite the opposite. It's kind of a termination thing, if I may. And uh, by termination, I mean that that's the process that God uses to complete his work on you. It's like the final step on your transformation. Once you have been baptized by fire, you are perfected by grace to do what God wants you to do. In an ultimate scenario, that's a preparation for living with God forever. But the symbol is also used for the preparation for his work. For example, in Acts chapter 2, we see the story of the first Pentecost. Where the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, but they are also baptized with fire. If we read Acts 2 verse 3, uh, from, and I read from the New King James, it says, Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, and sat in each one of them. So, after that, they were ready to go and be used by God as preachers. And they went and preached powerfully. Because they were baptized by fire. They were finished. They were polished. Like all their internal strife that they had. All their dissensions. All their little fields they have. They were gone. They, for 10 days. They were like praying. And asking for that baptism. Asking God to remove things from them. Once the work was completed. It was manifested by fire coming upon their heads. And that enabled them to do the work that God wanted them to do. But uh, that was nothing but a glimpse of what God wants to do in my life and your life. That was just like a small miniature of what he expects to give you. Of what he expects to give me. Uh, uh, even if we don't live to see Jesus coming in our own eyes with this flesh, the Bible assures you that we're going to be resurrected and we're going to be joined with him and live with him forever. The Bible assures us that he will complete the good work he started on us. And that is the final manifestation of his baptism by fire. He will make us ready not only to serve him on this earth, but he will make us ready to live with him, to live in his house, to see him face to face forever. And that's what the baptism of fire really means. We can see that in books like the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Daniel, Revelation, and many other books on scripture. But I want to just choose like three, three biblical passages that make the point clear to us. The imagery described on the Bible comes primarily from the Old Testament. From the book, for example, from the book of Isaiah, verse 48, verse 10, where it says on the name when James says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Here he is describing all the processes, natural and otherwise, that God uses us to remove all the junk that we have on our hearts. In Zechariah 13 verse 9. There's another beautiful text that says. And I will bring the third part through fire. 
and I will refine then I silver, and ref, as silver is refined, and I will try then as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I shall hear them, and I, I will say, it's my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. So, in preparation to that day, we're going to see God face to face. He's saying, God's people will be refined through that fire. Need to be baptized through fire. That's why Paul, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he admonishes us uh, to, and I quote, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Because... The Holy Spirit tries to work on us and refining us as fire refines gold. But sometimes, by not hearing Him, we quench that fire on our lives. We extinguish that good that He wants to do, and we don't receive the blessing that we are meant to receive on our lives. Uh, so, uh, Paul understood that the Holy Spirit is working as the refiner's fire. And that's why he advised us not to quench that fire in our life. Because God wants to do some precious work on us. That he's already doing us this now through the Holy Spirit. But he will accomplish on the day of his coming. From all the biblical texts we call this study today. The one that's probably more meaningful to me. Is uh, and to us that live on the last days. That are living on the days before Jesus is coming. Perhaps it's Malachi, verse, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. As I read, follow me on your Bible. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like the refiner's fire or a launder's soap. He will sit as the refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. That text is for me so remarkable because uh, Jesus is coming soon. And that text is saying that uh, not only we have to repent and uh, allow the blood of the Lamb to wash us clean daily. And demonstrate this publicly to the baptism. But uh, he also mentions that we have to submerge on the Holy Spirit day after day. But throughout our life, God is refining us. He's going through a lengthy process to make us ready to serve him face to face. To live with him. That's why Malachi starts with, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can see God face to face? Only those, and the answer is, only those that are refined by fire, that are baptized on that baptism that he wants to give you. The issue here is not even preparation for the last day events. Don't take me wrong. God wants you to be ready for those last day events, but does things like persecution or like uh, tribulation and all those things, those are small potatoes. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's peanuts. The real issue is that God wants is for you to be before him. And the Bible says that he's so holy 
that no impurity can be on you or you die. So he wants to prepare you to live with him forever. If you go to the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 28, Moses says that uh, we are a nation of priests and God wants us to be his priests ministering in front of him. Peter, I think it's in Second Peter, he says, no, it's First Peter 2.19, I think. Uh, you are chosen people. You are chosen na- nation, a royal priesthood. And God wants you to be serving in front of him day to day. If you fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, we see the new, gener- the new Jerusalem coming. And we see that uh, we, there is no temple because the new uh, Jerusalem is the temple. God's home, God's temple, wherever it is right now, is going to change here. And we're going to be living where? Where Jesus said, on my father's house. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Do you remember the verse? I'm going to prepare for you a place there because we're going to have a room on his temple, a room on his palace. Why? If you look to the Old Testament, who had a room on the temple? Just the priests, the Levites. And that's exactly what uh, Malachi is saying here, that he's preparing the Levites to fire. He's preparing you to be the Levites, ministering to him under the new earth, to be with him face to face. That's something so grandos that that makes the tribulation and anything a small potato. And that's what he wants you to be ready. In order to, for you to really get the point, and then I go to my last story, and then I finish the sermon and go to the baptism, I want to share something about my mom. Uh, my mom was an interesting girl. She graduated from school as a school teacher. She uh, did, uh, I, here in the States, they call education. In Brazil, we call pedagogy. Uh, uh, that's basically how to be a teacher. And she worked as a primary school teacher for a few years. But then she felt she wanted to do something else. She became an accountant. She started to work for a bank, one of the two public banks in Brazil. They are owned by the federal government. She was the accountant of one of the regional branches on my town. But uh, she soon discovered that although the work was good and she enjoyed it, that was BC, not before Christ, before computers. That was on the day that like uh, you just had like those mechanical calculators that you had to and then or on the headquarters they have those modern like uh, differential machines that were like Neanderthal uh, computers, like old, old computers. So Every end of the week, she would be late uh, home. Every end of month, like well, that was like a two-day two ordeal that we will not see her. And after a little while, oh, that was not what I subscribed for. And uh, especially when she had my third brother, my younger sibling, she wanted to spend more time with us. So she decided to advance her schooling a little more and she changed professions again. She became uh, working still for the same bank. She saw an opportunity that they got her in, in the job training to be uh, what we call an evaluator. 
she would uh, evaluate precious stones and precious minerals for the bank. The bank would use like for collateral, like uh, both for big companies. They, in order to get money, they would give precious materials, and she would evaluate, and oh, that's worth a million dollars. So that's what she did. But also for the small guys, like as a power shop, the bank also would do that. If you had a a gold ring and we needed money, you could oh that. Here it's worth uh, 300 bucks, so I give you 250. So that was her job. And she got quite good at that. She eventually became a teacher of that for the bank. She was teaching others to be the same because they had like hundreds of those branches that did that business. After a while, she really liked to work with jewelry. And she decided to start a side gig to become a jeweler herself. So she studied uh, like in a trade school. At that point, we are in middle school already. So she had a little bit more time. We didn't need as much attention. So she studied that a little more. And she uh, learned how to make jewelry to get like that, those raw stones of uh, raw material of gold and process and purify it. And with her, I learned how it's done. Like, uh, like the... Gold, before it gets to the, the hands of the jeweler, he passes through a lengthy process. Like, uh, it first is mined, then it comes out. Sometimes it's pure, sometimes it's very mingled with all the materials, so it has to be uh, grinded and like reduced to little pebbles or even powder, so you can separate the good metals from the bad metals, then it's washed and washed again many times and with different substances to try to get rid of all the, the external impurities. But there's always mixed with gold some other mineral. Gold is never found in nature alone. So, and that last piece, after it was like a purified many, many times, it has to go to two processes. One and two processes are go through a refiner's fire. The first one, it's like that gets the gold to what we call uh, gold 99. That's a gold that's 99.9% pure. And then after we got to that stage, he goes to a stage uh, that in a, very, in a higher temperature, it's so hot that the weaker materials, they evaporate and the gold gets close to 100% pure, like it's 9.9999 pure. With that, they make the gold lingots that uh, you can, the jewelers use to make their, their stuff. And uh, that's what I learned from that. Has a direct application on that baptism of fire. Like, humanly possible, it's human impossible to get 100% pure gold. The maximum to the best process is like 9.999 and four nines after the, the dot. So, but uh, that's what God needs to do on you. But he's not satisfied, not even with 9.9999 and a million nines. He wants 100%. He wants us to get that process to the end. But he realizes that while we are on this earth, that process cannot be done. Uh, he, as he, a good uh, craftsman, he every day 
as you allow him to wash you clean through his Holy Spirit and as you allow him to, to put himself on his refining fire, he adds a nine to you. Like today you're 99, tomorrow you're going to be 9.999, 99999, but that will never be completed. Only when he comes. That's why Paul says that's necessary that this body to be removed and asked to receive new bodies in order to see God face to face. And that's the final baptism of fire, where he will purify you to the 100% that uh, he wants. And in this process, he does everything. We don't need to do anything. He, do, he does all the refining. The only thing we have to do is to open our hearts to the influence of the Holy Spirit. We can live a perfect life, humanly speaking. We can look fine to others, but God sees what's missing. We can even look fine to ourselves as we look through the mirror. But God knows that you're still lacking a few things, and that extra one at the end that will make you be 100% pure. We cannot prepare us by ourselves. That's God's doing. Only when we allow God to be God on our lives, every day. Only when we allow Him to prepare us to, to serve at His face. Only we kill self every day that we can be baptized with the baptism that we really wants to give you, that the baptism of fire. In closing, today is a celebration. And as Christina gets baptized in the water, ending the spirit today, uh, I want to make a call, not only for her, but for all of us. Uh, today is the day for us to start to die for self. Today is the day for us to allow God's refining fire in our life and to prepare us to live not only on this earth, not only to face a tribulation, not to want to face for troubles, no, to live with Him before His face forever. I want to be there. I want to surrender every day. I want to submerge myself on the Holy Spirit every day and I want to allow God to purify me with wherever it takes to get rid of everything bad that is on me so I can be before his face forever. I want to be there because I want to see Jesus face to face. My question to you today is do you want to do the same? As we ponder in this question we're going to have a special song and after that song, we have, we're going to have a special prayer of dedication for those that want to renew their commitment with the Lord and allow that refiner fire to work in your life today. May God bless you. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.